Welcome to We've Got Issues. I'm Joshua Holland. This week, we're going to speak to Greg Sargent from the Washington Post. Uh, we're going to talk to him about the rights relentless and escalating attack on free speech in schools. Uh, and then we're going to be joined by Vice's Tess Owen to talk about what a trove of leaked internal communications from a neo-fascist group reveals about their uh, intra-group dynamics, I guess you'd put it. Um, but first, I want to just take a step back for a moment and um, and and talk about our current state of affairs. Our, I want to point out, you know, because we're doing another yet another show where we're just talking about fascism. I just want to point out that while everything looks very bleak on the political front and is objectively bleak, um, it is as bad as it is because we are in fact winning on a lot of fronts. And I I say this because. You know, as regular listeners know, and uh, there are only like 500 of you, by the way, regular listeners. If you like the show, you should recommend it to a friend. As regular listeners know, it's um, it's a, it's always important to me to find a balance between uh, raising the alarm over the, the gathering strength of America's uh, neo-fascist movement, whatever you want to call it, and making people demoralized. Now, when I say the neo-fascist movement, I want to be clear that I am using that as kind of a catch-all for the militia guys, um, the extreme kind of edge of the MAGA anti-vax bunch, explicit white nationalists, as well as like Christian theocrats and outward neo-Nazis, uh, everyone who is actively uh, opposed to multi-ethnic uh, democracy. And I include like Tucker Carlson in that, right? Because that's what all of this is about at the end of the day. And the, the reason I worry so much about, about striking the right balance, again, between warning people um, and demoralizing people, is that our, our, it, it, while our pluralistic democracy and others as well, this is an international movement we're, we're facing, are under an enormous threat uh, with increasingly sophisticated disinformation channels and a frightening surge in political violence, their best hope, the, their best hope is really that the small D democratic majority becomes complacent. And complacency can come from thinking that everything is good, that it's all good, that the threat isn't real, that people warning that democracy is under the gun are hysterical right? Complacency can come from that. But complacency can also come from thinking that the other side is too strong or too focused or too clever to beat, right? Um, remember, when we talk about modern authoritarianism, authoritarianism, the 21st century style of authoritarianism, some people have referred to it as like a illiberal democracy, where you have the appearance of, of having a democratic system, but you don't really. Um, when you talk about modern authoritarianism, it doesn't look like Nazi Germany or fascist Spain or whatever. It's not totalitarian because totalitarianism invites resistance. So it's softer, soft authoritarianism, and it's designed to encourage complacency, right? Just go along with the system and you should be okay. You can complain about the government a little bit if you want, you know, um, we're not going to be, you know, knocking on your door and arresting you in the middle of the night. You can think everything's okay and just go about your business and don't make too many waves. 
Now, I am bullish. And maybe I'm like a hopeless optimist, but I am bullish on our side winning in the longer run. And I'm I'm a bullish if we, the like pro-pluralism majority, remain engaged. Because we have some very significant advantages. Um, you know, we, we always talk on this show about the gathering strength of the far right. But I mean, there is a, a powerful, there are powerful institutional opponents of that movement. Um, and we have significant advantages in terms of political culture, right? Every American is kind of brought up believing that we, that this country is an avatar of self-determination, right? We're taught from an early age that we, we work things out through democratic means. It's a norm that is, you know, frequently tested, but has so far kind of prevailed throughout our history. And while America is not becoming a majority-minority country anytime in the foreseeable future. That's a myth that drives a lot of white people a bit crazy. The country is becoming more diverse, not just racially diverse. Um, the share of the population that doesn't identify as a Christian or doesn't identify with a specific church is growing. Um, people are, you know, people are becoming more tolerant of different sexual orientations and gender orientations, et cetera, et cetera. And um, more importantly, I think, is that younger generations that are coming up now skew notably progressive. And I'm not, I'm not saying anything about like demographics are destiny because I think that's wrong, but there's a phenomenon called generational imprinting. It's a, it's a, that's a fancy political science term. It just means that as generations come of age politically, their ideological uh, tendencies or skew, I guess you might say, is shaped by the times. It's shaped by what's happening. And right now, polls show that younger people, people who will be voting in increasing numbers, um, care a lot about the climate. They care a lot about the climate. They care about racial justice and economic justice. They don't like homophobia or transphobia. They are not uh, vulnerable to, um, you know, cries of socialism. They're not, they're not scared of slipping into, uh, you know, North Korea or Venezuela or whatever. Now I am of course speaking on average, not true of all of them, but this is, this is the, the trend that we're looking at. Um, and we have been winning the culture wars for quite some time. And, it, you know, it's easy to lose sight of that because we care about the, we care about those culture wars less. We tend to. And if you think about it, what does the right have to offer other than culture war? They, they don't, they really don't have much. So we're in a bad part of the backlash cycle right now. It's a cycle, Right. We elected Barack Obama. A lot of Americans are becoming increasingly focused on like racially discriminatory policing and, and structural inequities. So the far right has made inroads capitalizing on that backlash, on the backlash against those things. And all of those things 
all of that is being amplified right now by the pandemic. That is bringing out a whole lot of anti-governmentalism and just general hostility. And the pandemic will pass. So I guess that's what I wanted to say this week. We're losing a lot of battles in the courts. We're clearly losing the messaging war, the propaganda war, whatever you want to call it. But overall, like looking at the longer run, uh, we're in pretty good shape. We're in good shape as long as we stay engaged, even when things suck ass as they do now. Just stay engaged. And I say this as much to myself as I say it to you, because I've been struggling with burnout and all of that. Just got to kind of stay in the fight. And, um, you know, I don't know what choice we have. And on that note, let's take a quick break and then come right back to talk about some of the threats that we face. Uh, We're going to speak with Greg Sargent after the break. Stay tuned. And we are back. I am always happy to welcome our next guest. Greg Sargent is, I think, one of the most insightful analysts working at a major daily newspaper today. He writes for the Washington Post. He is also the author of An Uncivil War, Taking Back Our Democracy in an Age of Trumpian Disinformation and Thunderdome Politics. Why is everybody's book title so long? (laughs) Anyway, I recommend it if you haven't read it. It's a great book. Uh, Greg, welcome back to We've Got Issues. Thank you. And you're right about those long subheads, man. All of them. It does have to change. It's a thing, man. It's a thing. And I I wrote a book and I also had a long subhead. So I'm I'm not one to throw stones. Um, I don't want to take a a lot of time with this, but we do have breaking news. I wonder if you have any just brief reaction to the news that Justice Stephen Breyer plans to step down at the end of the Supreme Court term, giving Biden an opportunity to nominate a replacement. A lot of people have been pressuring him to do so, and he had previously previously been um, resistant. So does posting work or what? Well, I guess one thing we can say is that a, a major uh, potential disaster was averted, right? Um, you know, with Republicans really on track to potentially take control of the Senate, there's simply no doubt whatsoever that if McConnell, McConnell were majority leader and something like this happened, he simply would not allow a hearing for Biden's replacement ever. That's yes. essentially at this point, pretty much a certainty. And, you know, Breyer made a lot of noises about how he wasn't going to get pushed around by political considerations. But I've got to think that this weighed on him on, on some level. Yeah. And um, I should say that with a 6-3 majority, very right wing judicial activists, uh, which will remain intact regardless of how this goes. And yes, with indeed. a democratic, democratically controlled Senate, 
this should be, I mean, in theory, the least dramatic SCOTUS confirmation process we've seen in a long while. I, I, I mean, I'm sure we'll see a lot of contrived drama, but the stakes of this one are yeah, fairly low. Um, anyway, true. I want to... I want to talk about the concerted Republican assault on free speech going on in America's schools. This is a very serious threat. I'm not sure if uh, people are aware of how serious it is. According to the New York Times, one in three American children currently attend school in a state where um, Republicans have enacted legal gag orders on teachers, dictating what they can and can't talk about with their students. And some of these measures are just incredibly draconian. Um, Greg has been writing very clearly about this, more clearly than a lot of people. Uh, you wrote recently about this kind of nationwide trend. Can you give us a bird's eye view of what's going on in uh, red states and also some purple states, unfortunately, across the country? Because I want to talk to you a little bit more about Virginia, but I, I just want to set the scene first. Well, the big picture is basically that, that there's a through line with all these uh, proposals and laws that are moving forward in mostly Republican controlled states. And the through line is a combination of factors. One is that these laws are, and proposals are incredibly sloppily drafted, which uh, invites all kinds of abuse. So you have various laws saying things like, these concepts cannot be included in course materials. And of course, you know that could essentially mean anything. It could mean that a, a piece of writing uh, from the civil rights era or, or from, the, from an abolitionist, uh, leading abolitionist, contains some concepts that are problematic and therefore that piece of writing couldn't be taught. Now, you know, it hasn't really come to anything quite like that, but we have seen in Tennessee a, a group of moms for liberty, liberty in quotes, of course, um, uh, tried to prevent the teaching of a book about Jim Crow on, on exactly these grounds. It contained objectionable content. Um, and so that's really one of the main through lines. And, and the other one is that these things are containing various punitive mechanisms against teachers. And I think what we can be pretty certain of is that many teachers are going to increasingly feel that they're on thin ice and are going to be afraid to to offer wide-ranging ideas. Um, and, and I think that's really the point of these laws. Uh, this has already happened, right? There have been yes. uh, conferences canceled because of concerns that these overly broad laws, uh, you know, that the, the content would run afoul of, of these one of these overly broad laws. And just to illustrate what Greg is saying about how sloppily and broadly these laws are being written, it's kind of comical, but one of these gag bills, um, I think it was in Florida, but maybe I mixed up on the state. It said in the text of the bill that school children should be taught all American history, like the famous debates between Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. Now, of course, the Lincoln-Douglas debates were between Lincoln and then Senator Stephen Douglas, who supported slavery, not Frederick Douglass, who was a staunch abolitionist. And this was the, the people who are writing laws dictating what history is being written who are who are getting this wrong. I mean, it's just embarrassing, or it, it would be embarrassing yeah. um, if these people were capable of shame. Um, right. But that's just an example of just how, and you see this again and again, right? I mean, like historians have been, if you go on, pop on Twitter, historians have been mocking a lot of the, the texts of the bills and 
zany things uh, that um, sponsors of these bills have been saying about American history, just how wrong they are about American history. You know, there was a Jill Lepore wrote a book about the Tea Parties and their version of history. And she said, it's not just, I'm not going to quote, but to paraphrase her, she said, it's not just that they are wrong about history. It's that they have this like very nutty anti-history. You know, it's just this kind of created idea of like what happened in America, very simplified and very, and very wrong. Um, And just for those listeners, I, I do feel the need to step back because we're we pay a lot of close attention to this for listeners who haven't read up on this issue that this much. I do want to just take a moment to point out that these bills are always or often being sold as an effort to combat so-called critical race theory. Yeah. Um, Critical race theory in the real world is a valuable analytic framework for students at the university level. Um, It helps them understand how policies that are racially neutral on their face can be can be passed with discriminatory intent. And then also, regardless of intent, they can have a discriminatory um, effect, right? So that's what real critical race theory is. And I, I think that we do need to take a step back and, and always say that when we talk Actually, about Actually, yeah. Can I jump in and just say something about that? You can. It's really no coincidence that that type of inquiry is, is being closed down at the time when Republicans are passing uh, new voter suppression laws across the country. I mean, a lot of those types of laws generally tend to rely on facial neutrality in order to conceal uh, efforts that are targeted towards making it harder for African-Americans to vote. I think this is super important. And I, and I appreciate that you're tying these things together. We always try to do that on the show. Um, they're also making it harder to protest to these things and making it easier to brutalize protesters and et cetera, right. et cetera, et cetera. Now, um, the demonization of CRT, critical race theory, and a lot of dishonest claims that it is about teaching uh, young white children to be guilty about their ethnicity. This is the overarching kind of narrative on the right. It has been a remarkably transparent, like propaganda campaign. You know, there's this activist, we've talked about him before, Chris Rufo. Before most people had ever heard of CRT, he tweeted out, he put it on Twitter that he planned on like associating everything conservatives dislike with CRT and then using it as a political cudgel. It's kind of remarkable about how, how, it's kind of remarkable how open they've been about that, isn't it? Yeah, and I think one way to think about it is is that they're trying to smuggle a certain premise into the discussion kind of undercover, right? Like so so once you accept their description of critical race theory and and its associated alleged, you know, uh, offenses, uh, once you accept that those are actually taught in the classroom and that they they and they do make kids white kids feel uncomfortable and ashamed and so forth. And, and make kids hate each other, right? What you've suddenly ex- also accepted is that there's this subversive element in the schools that's trying to make your kids feel this way. Right. So, right. So, so you know, a lot of this kind of propaganda functions that way, right? The the real thing that they're trying to to smuggle into people's minds is is the premise. That's right. And I mean, and let me ask you this. So there is, there's been an effort, I think, to kind of both sides of this stuff. You know, right-wing propagandists are going to disseminate right-wing propaganda. That's what they do. 
to what degree do you think ostensibly neutral political reporters and um, centrist and even liberal commentators are culpable for lending this stuff credence? Because, you know, it's you got this rank bullshit and it seems like a lot of people have tried, really tried to find some kernel of truth. Yeah, I mean, the both sides thing that concerns me the most is when people try to, to, to balance it against the alleged censoriousness on the left. That's right. You know, um, which I think is a bit of a different phenomenon, but a related one. And, and, and I, I think there's a lot of pressure on some centrist commentators to be seen as even handed in this regard. And that ultimately ends up kind of enhancing the kind of both sides thing um, phenomenon here. It just, it, it really gets under my skin that using the state, using the power of the state to censor speech is exclusively coming from the right. I cannot think of a, a single, you know, I can think of people on Twitter, you know, randos on Twitter calling for, you know, illegalizing Fox News or whatever. But as far as drafting legislation and passing legislation, censorship is entirely from the right. Um, and, you know, to equate that with, you know, people trying to complain to people's bosses, you know, individual action um, to punish people for their speech. I, I don't see any equivalent there at all. I really I really don't. It's it's no, maddening. It's that comparison is maddening. And it becomes especially ridiculous when when certain figures on the right try to cite things like Trump getting deplatformed. Um, you know, that came after Trump lied about our elections for six straight months as part of a concerted plot to overturn our constitutional order. And, and he was able to use social media to do that relentlessly and, and unfortunately to tragic effect. Yeah, um, no, I mean, just said nobody has a poorer grasp of the Constitution than so-called constitutional conservatives, in my experience. I mean, the idea that and they actually argue they're like, yeah, well, Twitter is kind of uh, like the government, you know, um, <laughs> just to get around the point that it's a private company and there's plenty of other social media outlets that they can go to and spew whatever nonsense they want to. Anyway, yeah, exactly. I want to talk a little bit about Virginia. Um Yes, sir. Glenn Youngkin, the, the new governor of Virginia, where Republicans made huge gains last year, he convinced, and this is kind of related to what we're just saying, he convinced a lot of political reporters that he was like a, a new center-right alternative to Trumpism, right? And um, yep. the, the conventional wisdom is, of course, is that he won on school issues, which were kind of portrayed as, you know, not MAGA, American first. They were different. Um let me ask you, how, how has that narrative worked out uh, when looking at the early going of the Yunkin administration? Well, I think, you know, I would hope reporters will engage in some introspection after this. Um, That's funny. <laughs> just kidding. Um, but uh, <laughs> That's a good one, Greg. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank you. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so so with, with the, the mask situation is really very instructive, right? Um, so right now, Yunkin put out or just recent right upon taking office, he put out an executive order trying to essentially supposedly empowering parents to opt out of mask requirements at schools without uh, offering any rationale. But um, that actually is an effort to roll back 
mask requirements that school districts are putting into effect. And, and that actually shows, I think, already uh, that Youngkin is all taking a much more radical general uh, approach to governing than he advertised during the campaign. As you say, he, we, he, he told us he was a different, he was going to be a more conventional center-right type who, who wouldn't engage in the excesses of Trumpism. But immediately, Youngkin is uh, going full Ron DeSantis on masks and even threatening to use state power to force school boards into compliance. And what's really absurd about all this is that Youngkin is posing as a, a, a kind of uh, uh, the bane of power-mad school bureaucrats and standing up for parents' rights. But in reality, these school boards are following the law, right? right? The state, a state law that was signed by the former governor and passed by the legislature. Uh, essentially, it's a bit of a tough call, but, but it's an absolutely reasonable reading of that state law to say that it requires school boards to maintain masking requirements in keeping with CDC guidelines. And so the school boards are the ones who are following the law, and he's the one who's arguably abusing his power. Yeah, and he's starting to get some pushback now over these mandates. Some yeah. school districts are are defying him, and it, it isn't. Some people say it's making him look weak. Let me let me take a step back again, and um, ask you another question about the kind of big picture. Like, what, yeah, if you look at the at this whole use of, um, you know, laws that require people to report things that teachers do. It makes teaching as a profession really untenable, really difficult. What do you think the big end goal is? Is there is there a big end goal? And is it just a reflection of um, longstanding right-wing hostility towards public education? Yeah, I mean, I think as, as a number of people have pointed out, this is a long-time Republican project, right? You know, um, and, and I think that project generally has a number of different goals. For, for decades now, the right has known that a way to kind of activate um, dormant constituencies has been through scaring uh, parents about what, you know, liberals are trying to do to their kids. So there's that kind of instrumental political mobilizing component to it. And yeah. then there are the ideologues who, you know, really want to kind of cripple public education and so forth. I think a lot of these things are kind of mixed in to, to, the, to, the, to the stew. Right. Yeah. Because um, right now it's it, when you when you see guys, I think you cited a tweet by Chris Rufo, which essentially c- confessed to this. Right. He yes. said as clearly as you could want that he was essentially creating a mobilizing mechanism. Um, and so when you hear Republicans talk about how they were able to activate all keep 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 all these voters um uh, you know, agitated in, in the Virginia gubernatorial race. That's a decades. That's that's really the latest iteration of a decades long mobilization project. It, it's, it really works for them. Yeah. And um, I mean, what what Greg is saying here is like you get this coalition of cynical Republican operatives who see it as a way to inflame the base um, and then. You combine that with people who are who call them government schools and rail about communist indoctrination and stuff like that. It's a potent, a potent coalition. Now, I try to be humble making predictions, especially in the kind of post-2016 era. Yeah. But it is very, very safe to say that given 
Glenn Youngkin's success, and also given the degree to which backlash against, oh, the whole Black Lives Matter movement more generally is animating the right, that we will see a whole bunch of candidates trying to kind of um, outdo themselves in demonizing teachers and calling for uh, crazy unconstitutional laws. Now, obviously, teachers unions are a player in these political fights, but aside from them, um, is there an organized effort to push back on this on this stuff? Is that is this another area uh, where we see are going to see a, a stark asymmetry between the left and the right, or am I unaware of some of the actors? Well, I mean, on the mask front, we're seeing a fairly organized pushback in Virginia already, with dozens of school boards resisting what Youngkin's doing, but. As to as to the critical anti-critical race theory stuff, you know, it's interesting. I, I actually talked to the DCCC chair about this a while ago, and, and this was at a time when Democrats were getting criticized, I think, rightly for not pushing back on this stuff. Um, and, and in fact, you know, you, you couldn't go a day without reading yet another commentator telling us that Democrats had to capitulate entirely in these wars and stop talking about them and talk. And, and talk only about popular things, right? And the DCCC chair told me, you know, we're going to engage this stuff. We're going to, you know, we're not going to let Republicans get away with fomenting threats and violence toward teachers and trying to whitewash the U.S. past. And I have to say, unfortunately, I haven't seen, although I could be wrong about this, I haven't seen as much as I'd like to see on that front from Democrats. Now, you know, people are, are busy with other things like passing the, trying to get BBB passed and so forth. But it still strikes me, I think you're right, that, that they're essentially on some level seeding the field on this stuff in a way that really shouldn't be happening. You know, it's uh, similar to what there is with um, the situation with um, transgender athletes and stuff like that. Like there are people, you know, we've had Oliver Willis on the show a lot of the time. He's always saying like Democrats should say that Republicans want to inspect your kids' genitals, right? Why why not make that an issue? Because it's true, it's true. I mean, it's outrageous what they're doing in these schools, and um, you got to call them out. I appreciate um, you and others calling these things these anti CRT bills gag orders. Let's point out these are really egregious assaults on the First Amendment. Teachers have a right to free speech as well. Um, you know, another way to say it, Josh, is, is, you know, to essentially say, you know, why do you think your kids are such snowflakes that they shouldn't be taught hard truths about their own nation's history? Yes, that's right. That's right. This is about whitewashing history and teaching a false, um, a false version of history. Really, it's the indoctrination that they accuse others of, of favoring. It is a, a really just a, yet another example of projection uh, folks i've been saying this parents they're indoctrinating yeah. the parents into believing that there's a subversive element that's out out to torture their kids psychologically yes to justify indoctrinating their kids you know i've been saying this consistently for a while folks find a school board meeting right like get involved locally because the the right is doing exactly that and i feel like they can you know if we're they can be defeated if people aren't complacent about this stuff. And that's why we keep talking about it. That's why I appreciate Greg writing about it. Greg Sargent, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I really do appreciate it. Thanks, man. It's always a pleasure. Folks, stay tuned. We're going to take a quick break and then return with Tess Owen from Vice. We're going to talk about a leaked trove of internal communications from a, a growing neo-fascist group, the Patriot Front. Stay tuned. Hot air hangs like a dead man From a white oak tree 
people sitting on porches thinking how things used to be dark night it's a dark night Welcome back. Our next guest is Tess Owen, who is a senior writer at Vice, working on the extremism beat. Um, Tess has a piece, a really fascinating look at a neo-fascist group that has gotten a, a fair amount of attention in recent months. They call themselves the Patriot Front, and they are goofballs, but we shouldn't let that obscure the fact that they represent a dangerous and frequently violent strain in American politics or global politics, I should say, especially since the far right has been uh, forging alliances with similar movements in Hungary and Italy and elsewhere. Um, Tess Owen, welcome back to We've Got Issues. Thanks for having me. Thank you for taking the time. By the way, how is your dog? Uh, My dog is doing very well. Thank you. Uh, Dolly is thriving. So Tess, recently, I know this from Twitter, uh, had to figure out that her dog is allergic to chicken, of all things. That's correct. She's now on a very expensive kibble, a sweet potato and salmon organic kibble, which is like, you know, it is what it yeah. is. <laughs> <laughs> so my dog, Oscar, is um, allergic to his own fur. Oh, no. Yeah. You have to, yeah, sh- we... you have to keep him shaved? <clears throat> no, no. He, he takes drugs for it. So he basically okay. gets... A- immune suppressant and then we have to monitor his blood for that so it's a he's a very sweet cute boy but he's certainly not low maintenance because we just dropped a 400 bucks on a vet bill and he's perfectly healthy just to control this thing otherwise he just itches at his face all the time yeah the itching anyway is really, yeah <laughs> <laughs> just want to check on you on your pooch yeah, yeah um, she's doing much better thank you <laughs> <laughs> tess uh, um if I recall correctly, this Patriot Front group deal, uh, they spun out of some other group after the infamous Unite the Right march in Charlottesville in 2017. Um, was that just the result of the usual like infighting and recriminations that are so often part of these uh, extremist movements? Well, that's right. So they emerged as a splinter group of Vanguard America, and Vanguard America became especially notorious in the aftermath of Unite the Right, because uh, one of its alleged members, James Alex Fields, um, of course, neo-Nazi who drove into the crowd of counter-protesters and killed Heather Heyer and injured many others. And so there was all this sort of 
attention on Vanguard America. And so the leader of the um, Vanguard America's Texas chapter, Thomas Russo, then formed a splinter offshoot called Patriot Front. And initially, um, you know, it looked very much like uh, Vanguard America in terms of its sort of neo-Nazi iconography and rhetoric. But then a year later, and this was sort of when the far right were in this sort of crisis about optics, they were having this sort of big discussion about whether it was advantageous to sort of conceal some of their more explicit hateful ideologies and sort of wrap them up in euphemism. So Patriot Front had this big optics makeover in 2018 where they sort of traded out the swastikas and the explicit anti-Semitism and all that stuff for a kind of peppy Americana, red, white, and blue. You know, their manifesto doesn't make any explicit references to race or anything, but it's full of dog whistles. And so that's sort of like what they rely on. And like one goal of this is to sort of broaden their appeal um, and to sort of widen their potential pool of recruits. Now, I feel like they have been increasingly active, but that may just be that they've been getting more attention or maybe I've just been seeing more of them in my little bubble. Have they been like on the march more in the last, I don't know, year or so? I think they have. I mean, that's definitely fair to say. I mean, since 2018, I mean, Patriot Front are prolific propagandists. And I think SPLC, they have a tracker, um, you know, they track white supremacist or white nationalist propaganda that shows up um, and sort of try to figure out who is doing the most of it and where it's showing up. And Patriot Front by far outpaces all the other groups. And I think their flyers and posters and stickers have have shown up in every state plus D.C., apart from Hawaii. And obviously one of the goals of this is to make them seem much bigger than they actually are. Um, and I think that for a while, I mean, they're also, when they when they sort of appear in public, they do so kind of very quickly. They do these like very sort of synchronized, carefully choreographed public appearances where they basically use these public appearances as propaganda moments that, you know, they, they take some videos of themselves, take some photos, they're all wearing their little uniforms um, and then they, and then they leave. So yeah, I think so for that reason, it, it almost oh, sorry, seems flash mobby, right? I mean, like they, as you say, they coordinate their outfits and then they get in vans and go on these little marches. It, 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 I'm not sure. It's, I think it's usually in like deep blue enclaves, right? They, we see them in New York and Chicago and stuff like that. There were some others. I mean, I, I think that there was a Kentucky, or there, there have been some other sort of appearances that just weren't really widely publicized. Um, just again, because they were just so fast and they were like, yeah, like flash mob style. And so, you know, if other people weren't there to capture it, if they weren't reporters or, you know, bystanders or activists, then, you know, it wouldn't really get reported necessarily. So one of the great things about this amazing leak, which Unicorn and Riot, who have just been doing unbelievable work in this space um, in terms of sort of publishing internal chats of white nationalist groups that reporters like myself can dig through and try and get a better understanding of what's going on. Um, you know, it's been really interesting to pick apart how their strategy has, you know, what their strategy has been like and how obsessive they are with optics. It's been absolutely fascinating. So uh, let's talk about this huge trove of, was it internal text messages? Yeah. So I think that the, the what it seems like is that there was an infiltrator or maybe several who um, had got a, got a, Got, were able to sort of had access to these rocket chat 
uh, servers, which was used by Patriot Front members. And um, so, yeah, released their chats, their planning documents, uh, videos, um, wow. you know, un- unedited videos as well. So you see the, you know, the whole cut rather than just the propaganda thing that's put out at the end. Yeah, actually, let me ask you about that. So the, you you write that the, this is a group that really focuses on trying to present this clean, all-American kind of preppy image. And they had this video. And then after the cut, you had like a kind of different sense of who they were. Tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> the video. It's, I mean, the video is almost like satire. It's just too, it's so funny. <laughs> it really is. It's, it's, it's perfect, isn't it? It is so perfect. It's, you know, there's five guys all in their Patriot Front uniforms. So, you know, you've got the sun, like, they cover their faces. They've got the sunglasses, the white gaiters pulled up over their nose, their Patriot Front caps, their navy blue jackets and their khakis and their Patriot Front flags in the background. And they're sitting around a sort of like a, like a sort of, terrorist or like hostage negotiation video or something that's it looks like an up. isis video it absolutely yeah. looks like an isis video yeah with flags totally. behind them and everything. yeah 100 percent. and so there's four guys standing up one guy sitting at a desk with a piece of paper in front, of, in front of him and he reads out the group's manifesto and everyone's standing there looking very serious and then um as the video is still rolling one of them goes like seek fucking hile bro like that was gr-. like now i can finally say that now that the, you know we, we stopped recording <laughs> And it's just, and like, they're all like congratulating each other. And it's just, it's just hilarious. I mean, it's not hilarious, but it, you have to laugh, I think. It's hilarifying. Um, it's, it's, this so, is a, it's so this absurd. Is a, yeah, it's, this is a word I've tried to, it's a neologism I've tried to popularize, hilarifying, right? It's like when something is hilarious and terrifying at the same time. So that, Honestly, that's, that's great. That. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that. That's, I think we can I, make that I catch on. I hope you do. I've been, I've been trying to make it catch on. It's been, it's been, you know, I thought that during the Trump years, like hilarifying would definitely catch on because every day was hilarifying, but I, I don't know. It's been, been a little difficult. So your, <laughs> in your lead, uh, you write, and I quote, it shouldn't be a surprise that fascists rule other fascists with an iron fist, but that's the clear takeaway from this massive leak. Uh, Walk us through the requirements of being a member of the Patriot Front. What what does that involve? What does that look like as a young, like, uh, Patriot Front little neo-Nazi? I was honestly shocked by just how humiliating it seems to be a member of this group. <laughs> I, was, I was really not expecting what I found in these leaks. <laughs> Thank you, sir. May I have another? <laughs> I was really like completely surprised by like the leader Thomas Russo is a absolute micromanager tyrant like just control freak and so you know they have um they are many of them they are about 20, 200 members 220 members total but many of them are required to log their weight and height and their fitness routine and you know if they're you know, lifestyle habits, or if they are deemed unhealthy, or if they're deemed overweight, they are sent into this lifestyle recovery program, which is part of the group, where they are required to provide constant updates about their various vices. So whether they're watching too much porn, spending too much time on 4chan, vaping too much, um, they're also required to sort of give updates about their weight, what they're eating, and they're sort of body shamed by the leaders, by chapter leaders. Um, 
as well as so there's there's that there's like the, the body shaming kind of disorder <laughs> eating disorder approach which is like was, i was not expecting um, yeah, they're like, back, they're we, should, like, we should definitely come back to that one it's like it's um, like if, if you if you made it like nazis with 1950s flight attendants right? like, like, seriously it's like it's like a pro anorexia inspiration blog about the early aughts or something it was like this the disordered approach to food and their bodies was like i was like this is not healthy they're all bragging about their calorie deficits that day um and of course thomas russo is then you know for you know encouraging them and he's uploading photos of himself with you know muscles bulging being like you know lads this is what you should be aiming for sort of thing um so there's the there's the, the whole body shaming aspect then there is the financial stuff which is that um Patriot Front members are expected to pay a cover for their to attend their own rallies. Um, they also have to engage in regular quote activism, which means scattering sort of Patriot Front stickers and posters everywhere. But the catch is that those stickers and posters they have to buy from Thomas Russo, um, which he says is a quality control and flow of resources. As, that's why. So they have to buy stickers and posters from Thomas Russo. He ships them out. And then they have to document the fact that they have, you know, put these posters up in a tracker. And so they, then Patriot Front leaders will then monitor their, you know, who is really pulling their weight and will then shame members for not pulling their weight uh, publicly. And um, Tess notes that they have to, when they upload like these videos of putting up stickers or disseminating propaganda they have to use a strict style code they have to adhere to a strict style guide it's it's very cult-like um i think we should tell the audience just so that for context that thomas russo is 24 years old right so there's a this is a youth-oriented group obviously there's a lot of like weird homoeroticism um is this obsession with like reporting masturbation and diet and exercise routines all that stuff. is that something that is that you've seen with other extremist groups or is it a cult like what do you make of that it's definitely i mean it's this whole clean living thing um it's definitely a newer trend i've been noticing within the broader movement itself um like patriot front and some of the sort of european um european far-right groups and then also um, like a white supremacist, Robert Rundo, who's setting up all these sort of active fight clubs around. They've all been like promoting this sort of puritanical, clean living lifestyle. And I think it's sort of a stand in for like racial purity. Um, so that's, so that's been, so, you know, they, they are not allowed to, or they're not allowed to drink or do drugs um, or smoke while they are engaging in Patriot Front activities. And they are shamed if they are uh, if they attend a sort of Patriot Front event and they are, appear unfit. They are t- told that you know they are sort of letting the team down. Um, so yeah, but I mean, you're right that it's it's not it's not typical for the far right to the extent that I think it was a a, a Patriot Front rally in DC um, <laughs> so where, they, where they all appeared in their little uniforms and and. There was this, and the assumption by a lot of like right wing blogs and QAnon pundits types. were like, yeah, not even Q. I mean, like some QAnon types, but some just like right wing pundits were like, no, these guys are in way too good shape. Therefore, They're they have feds. to be feds. 
They're feds. This, this is this is this is a false flag operation. They're feds. Um, that's that's that. There's no other explanation for why they could possibly be in such good shape. There was one. I don't know what what blog it was where they actually zoomed in on their rears. I believe I believe it was Instapundit. Honestly, I yeah. Think it was I think it was yeah. I think it was Jim Hoff, the dumbest guy on the internet. I believe I may be I may be wrong. I think it was Instapundit. But they did like analyses. They did sort of like like dime, like like metric analyses of their of their rears. Rear <laughs> their asses. Their asses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> these guys they have two they're fat asses just make them obviously out to be feds um yeah because the real the real patriots the real me- meal team six members are they have a little bit of extra padding <laughs> right right exactly no it is like yeah. it is unbelievable but the one thing that i did like i was like it was hilarious going through these but i did not feel a bit sorry but for the rank and file it does it was particularly stark i thought that a lot of the guys who are being drawn into this clearly had issues or past issues with like addiction and mental health issues, which is like not really a new thing as far as extremist groups preying on those kinds of people goes. But in this case, with the whole clean living obsession and controlling nature of the group, it did seem especially stark. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And let me ask you this. Um, we're We're laughing about this bunch and, um, if you go on social media, you'll see kind of like they have a Keystone Cops kind of thing. There's video of them uh, being chased out of areas and jumping into vans, and they're just a they're they're a goofy crew in a way. And I think this is an important question when we talk about groups like this. To to what degree do you think they pose a real danger? Or are like disaffected young dudes looking to belong to something and to fill some hole in their lives? And relatedly, to what degree do organizations like this take young disaffected dudes who don't want to, who, who just want to belong to something bigger than themselves and turn a few of them, maybe not many, into a real threat? Um, it, that question may it's be really complicated, but you, you get what no, I'm saying. No, no, no. It's say. a really good question. It's a really good question. I mean, I think on one hand, like they obviously take themselves incredibly seriously. And so for that reason, it's, I, I, I think that when you come across a group like that, they take themselves so seriously, like I think it's actually important to point out how pathetic and bumbling they are just because, I mean, they do seem ridiculous. Um, so, you know, there is that, there is that, like they, they do have rules about, you know, they can't, they, they're not allowed to engage in violence while they're doing their, their demonstrations and they can't talk about guns, all that stuff. So it's like maybe on the face of things, like, like, when they show up in public, they might not seem like an immediate threat for like violence that moment. But I think you're right in the sense that they are drawing in people who are looking for a sense of belonging and they are trying to recruit people around right wing issues. You know, there was a lot of moments um, in the chats I found where they're talking about, you know, attending anti-vax rallies and playing clothes and trying to sort of hand out propaganda to people that they thought might be good you know potential recruits so they're definitely preying on people and trying to sort of disguise themselves as being like patriotic and then once you know they get people fall further down the rabbit hole like you said they are working to radicalize people into their ideology but like through this veneer of patriotism and that makes them dangerous i think yeah i think you're right about that Uh, before i let you go there is a a big question that i i always ask people on your beat basically i'm i'm sure you've given this a lot of thought 
you have to expose fringe right groups like this because sunlight is a disinfectant and we need to be wary of what's going on in our society. At the same time, when we talk about them on this show, when you report on them for vice, we're raising their profile and potentially, potentially increasing their ability to recruit Uh, your thoughts on that inherent challenge in this, in this whole space. It is definitely a challenge and one that I think, um, I think over the years I've sort of tried to develop sort of a code of ethics. I think a lot of us on the beat sort of share, um, which is, you know, you want to expose, not amplify. Um, in the case of this, you know, they were obviously growing and they were incredibly secretive. Like I've been wanting to get my, I've been wanting to dig into Patriot Front, but it was, you know, they're pretty hard to go about because they're so secretive. Um, so these kinds of leaks, I mean, make it very difficult. It's going to be very difficult, I think, for them to re build in the same way. I mean, we'll have to see. But I think the more that we can learn about their internal operations and how they recruit, um, how they raise money, how they organize, the better, because these are all the tricks that other groups learn from each other, you know, and I think it's one thing, you know, I think if you're amplifying, you're just taking their ideology and you're just, you know, helping them spread their ideas. But I think unpacking what they do um, rather than what they believe is, is the key there. Tess Owen, I believe we're out of time. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Folks, the piece is titled Leak Chats Reveal Fascist Group Patriot Front Shames Members About Their Porn, Junk Food Habits. Get it at vice.com. I suggest that you give it a read. I would also like to thank Greg Sargent and David Edwards, our producer and engineer. I'd like to thank the fine people at Alternet and Ross Story for supporting the show. Um, you know, recommend the show. If you like the show, recommend it to a friend. Uh, we really we really don't have a great listenership compared to like Joe Rogan, that schmuck. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Joshua Hall. Uh, you can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Of course, I would like to thank all of you fine people for tuning in. Have a terrific week and uh, keep up the fight. Feel the